Before we get started, you should probably know that the following podcast contains strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Also, it will almost certainly contain spoilers. Hello and welcome to Minisode 63 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. As ever, I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, disgusting filmmaker sometimes, full of beer right now. I was going to say, is one of those times right now? <laughs> yes i am yeah. for date stamp purposes we're recording this at 11 p.m on a friday yeah and we and it, full disclosure time we have been drinking that's true that is true yeah we have um which but, is not something we make a habit of before recording no, so we'll no, see no, where this it's takes quite us rare, actually it's quite rare yeah uh, yeah pretty we rare. did start off a lot drunker when we began the podcast yeah that was a nerves thing i think <laughs> it certainly was for me now we're uh now we're old pros yeah, exactly. We take exactly. it too seriously for that, but we have cut loose tonight. A wee bit, a wee bit. But how have you been? Um, I'm absolutely fine. I'm warm. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't uh-huh. think I'm alone in that. I think uh, the majority of our listeners are probably more clammy than they would care to be. Yeah, I feel like I'm, uh, to reference a character from another from a film we've talked about in an episode, I feel like the director from the like documentary within a film in Anaconda. Um, you know <laughs> yeah. the, the guy that spends the entire time just struggling in the heat in this very foppish kind of way. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've been that guy all week. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's not been great. But yeah, um, and I have been swimming in ball soup. Ball soup. Have you been watching anything? Uh, do you know? Not really. Uh, I did. Uh, that's not true. Actually, that that's a flat out lie. Uh, checked out Lee Cronin's The Hole in the Ground. Okay, right. So I saw this at Glasgow Film Festival yeah, we originally. Talked about, you talked about it around about the time. Yeah, I was a little cold on it. How did you find it? I think I probably liked it marginally more than you. Okay. But I've already forgotten large swathes of it. I when it finished, I was kind of into it, but that was it. Ah, okay. It had no lasting effect on me. I thought that, and yeah, I kind of felt like with that one, it was a film that I had begun forgetting before it had ended <laughs> i feel like that's you though i feel like you'd already convinced yourself that you weren't into <laughs> yeah well, well yeah it wasn't particularly for me so yeah no i'm a little i'm a little cold in that one i don't want to go into it too much because i think i talked about it yeah, at a reasonable it length um, at the time i would say check it out okay. personally i would say check it out like i say i had a good time with it in the moment it just there's nothing about it that stands out for me massively compared to a lot of other films yeah, I I think that it's 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 pretty interchangeable with a lot of kind of like vaguely supernatural. Yeah, it's a, it's a perfectly serviceable film, and I and I liked it. But yeah, it's it it just exists. You may take more out of it than I did, dear listener. Um, but that's your journey, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's your truth. Yeah, <laughs> I go live your truth. <laughs> go live your truth. So nothing else apart from that one we just watched together. Oh yeah, balls! <laughs> uh, you may remember a couple of weeks ago we had uh, Abner Pastel on the show talking about the collector. Indeed, yeah. Tonight, over a couple of beers, we watched the collection. Yeah, we both kind of refreshed our collective memories on uh, the collection because our collective memories on the collection <laughs> collectively. Yeah, because um, we both kind of had vague uh, kind of recollections of it. For fuck's sake. 
Uh, no, we so we watched it back, and uh, yeah, I think that pretty much everything that you said about it kind of holds up. It's um, a lot more fun. It's yeah. equally as grimy in a way that's way less nihilistic than the first one. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, there's still some pretty gross stuff in it, but I feel like it's done in a much more tongue-in-cheek way. Yeah, yeah, it's aye, it's played for fun way, way more. I mean, there was a couple of moments where we were like, oof. Yeah, it's nasty, but I think like when it's not in the context of a film that is front to back nasty, you can kind of enjoy those moments as entertainment in a way that you can't when it's tonally yeah, much, yeah, much okay, darker. Yeah. And there were a couple of moments that actually physically made us curl into balls, like man balls. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pair of man balls. Um, yeah, no, you're right, you're right. There's some really revolting set pieces in it as well, but I think, yeah, it balances it balances the lightness a little better, I think. Yeah, I, and I it's would agree. Possibly, it's probably a better film for it. So to you then, have you watched anything without me looming over you? Uh, yeah, I have continued on my uh, kind of Freight Fest retrospectives or Freight Fest revisiting that I've been doing over the last couple right. of weeks. Because um, the festival's getting closer. I'm getting very excited about it. You may hear more from us about this in the near future. Who Fuck can say? Hell, man, you're such a hint, a hint master. Who can say? <laughs> but um, I've been revisiting a few things. So um, I did a Tyler McIntyre double bill this oh, week. Oh, okay. Right, okay. Tyler yeah. McIntyre, the director of Patchwork and Tragedy Girls and best known for his appearance on this show. <laughs> uh, talking memoirs of Invisible Man way back in episode 12. But um, yeah, I watched uh, Patchwork and Tragedy Girls this week. Um, and did they hold up? Yeah, I um, actually, I've had a weird one with Patchwork, um, which was obviously his first film that he wrote with Chris Hill. Yeah. And I watched it at Freddy Fest Glasgow and I loved it. And then I watched it again at home and I feel like it had suffered a little bit from kind of, or I had suffered from festival hysteria. Sure, sure. And I kind of talked it up a little bit too much in my brain. I don't know if it held up quite as well as I'd expected it to. But I went back to it this week and actually got way more out of it again. Oh, cool. Uh, so yeah, like I think I don't know. I think that once it kind of like maybe going in cold after a little while, it kind of reminded me that there's really a lot to like in it. But also, the growth in him as a filmmaker and as the pair of them as writers from Patchwork to Tragedy Girls it's, is absolute night and day. It's such a marked leap in quality from Patchwork to Tragedy Girls. It really is. Yeah, and I, and I would absolutely recommend checking out both films. But I think that, and I said this at the time, and I said this to Tyler at the time after it closed Fright Fest in 2017, sure. I think Tragedy Girls is the smartest and most convincing reinvention of the slasher since Scream. Do you know, I can't really disagree with that. Yeah, I, I think I, it's a remarkable film. It's great. I think Tragedy Girls is an absolute triumph, and I think I told Tyler as much when he was on the show. Yep. I am staggered that Tragedy Girls still doesn't have a UK release. Yeah, you, you like it's, it's like, you can't watch it without watching an import thing like I did. Yeah, yeah, and and like I did. Yeah, yeah like yeah. um, it's it's mad to me that people can't just go and watch this tonight. <laughs> like it's, yeah. it, and it's actually a source of some annoyance to me because it's so good and I know so many people who would love it it's superb I mean it's yeah just, yeah, just a really smart film just really smart really fresh and do you know what it's, even if it costs you 20 quid to import it or 25 quid just get it I think it's worth it I also, says the man who did that very yeah. thing I also um, I fitted in another revisit actually but something that recently landed on Netflix Another Freddy Fest film, saw it last year. Um, Nicholas Pesky's Piercing. Oh, it's fucking amazing. It's so good. Um, I hadn't seen it since I saw it at Freddy Fest, and yeah. I really loved it then. Because I watched it recently, if you recall, we talked about it on a minisode. Mm. I love this film. Uh, it's But I love the fact that, obviously, The Eyes of My Mother, his first film, was kind of very austere. Yeah, the, um, the, these again are very night and day absolutely yeah it's actually yeah it's maybe not a bad two things to talk about because i think that um uh the eyes of my mother i love it as well it's great but i think that um 
I wasn't ready for how radical a departure in so many ways piercing is. Yeah, when I saw Eyes of My Mother, I was absolutely blown away. Um, and I still am when I think about it now. And I have been having revisited it again. Mm-hmm. Pearson is a very, very different film. And I don't know what I was expecting when I first heard about Pearson. I think people mistook it for a giallo on the festival circuit because those, like that word kept getting thrown around. Yeah, and also I think the image that they kept using was a cigarette going close to an eyeball. Yeah, which is so yeah very kind of it was a very striking giallo reminiscent image. And I mean, there's snippets from those soundtracks turn up in this sure, as well. You yeah. know, what I mean, I mean, like it does lean on that a little bit, but it's not one of those films by any stretch of the imagination either. Also, a potential career best performance from uh, Mia Wasikowska here as well. I think. Oh, I mean, but she's routinely she's great and everything. G- I think she's done some great stuff. Yeah, I think it's like see also Stoker. Yeah, and do you know what? I'm even going to throw Crimson Peak into the mix there. Yeah. Have that. I mean, I don't like that film, but she's really good <laughs> in it. Um, but yeah, that's just about all my viewing for this week, with the exception of... Ah, dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. Mitch, what's the Shockwaves 100? And I did manage another one this week. I'm happy to report. What was it? Um, so, the first ever Mitch's Pitch film. Oh, Memory uh, test for you there. Uh... uh, uh, uh Funhouse? Yes! Oh, well remembered. Yeah. That's well, very impressive. <laughs> yes, Toby Pooper's The Funhouse. Ah, cool. Okay. Uh, so, first did... watch, as most of them are. What did you make of that? Yeah, I really enjoyed it, actually. Um, I. Uh, yes, yeah, so, like, suitably nasty. Kind yeah. of like as nasty as I'd expect it to be. Um, some set pieces I really loved, with like the fortune teller and uh, the magician and all that kind of stuff. Sure. Yeah, like, um, kind of like suitably daft, but also never departs too far from also being really nasty. Cool. Well, yeah, I mean, it. It found itself in a bit of bother. I got wrapped up in the video nasties furore of the early 1980s. Which I can understand. Yeah, but uh, I think it got tangled up in the kind of second tier. So films that were bad but weren't bad enough to to warrant like potential jail time if you get ah, caught okay, putting sure. them. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> video unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> video uncouth. <laughs> Video sneers. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. But, well, yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it. No, it was a good one. It was a good one. And so, the, the journey continues. The journey continues. You're inching ever closer to Cannibal Holocaust, my friend. Yep. It's, it's like I keep on putting it off, or we keep putting it off. Well, you don't. I don't. I keep trying to force it down your throat. Every you're, possible opportunity. You're, ready you're to always want... like, I'd like something fun tonight. Yeah. I get the impression that I keep doing that. And as a result, I'm going to just have a big bank of depressing ones at the end of it. Oh, yeah. Yep. Which is going to be, I'm going to have like a really nihilistic closing few weeks on the Shockwaves 100. Let's <laughs> go like, like an empty shell of a man. But yeah, the fun house was a six one. And yeah, I had fun with it. I had fun with it. It was really good. What have they been saying? They've once again been saying plenty, and unsurprisingly, they've mostly been saying things about Ravenous. I'm going to tell you, I think all of my feedback is about Ravenous. Most of mine is also about Ravenous. So before we get into that, we should, of course, say a big thank you to Mr. Matt Mercer returning to the show this past week and um, having a great chat with us about Ravenous. And you know, I'm going to just say this right now. Obviously, as we discussed on the show, Matt came to us with the film. Mm Mm-hmm. He said, let's get this together and let's talk about Ravenous because more people need to see it. Mm-hmm. I would be absolutely fine with other guests that we've had on in the past doing the same or indeed prospective new guests approaching us. Yeah, pitch us stuff. We love that stuff. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Come, come at us, bro. Um- <laughs> people still say that? I mean, you're saying it now. So. Yeah. Um- we will now. 
and yeah, I think Raven is qualifying for the show mostly because it's underseen. I don't yeah, sure. like, um, but because a couple of people did kind of show up and did have a couple of things to say about the fact that it was chosen and kind of talking about its appropriateness for this platform. Ugh, I mean, we 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 kind of expected that, really. James Plum, no defense needed, sure, but uh, it's more than let's get eyes on this kind of scenario. Yeah. Uh, same coming from John Paul Fitch, this needs no defending. It is incredibly unseen, though. So yeah. I mean, yeah, that's fair enough. And also, I mean, like. Obviously, this film has garnered like a pretty big following since it came out. But if you take a look into the critical reception from the time, it was like quite badly misunderstood by then. I think like I think um, so. yeah. yeah, and it's kind of like a little bit of a kind of a Starship Troopers situation. Remember when Andrew <laughs> Gower picked that? Obviously, it's very different because it was a much bigger film. But in the same way that everyone's like, "Oh, why would you pick that?" It's great. But when you look at how it was received at the time and how it performed, then it kind of fits the bill. I had no problem. I think when when Matt came to us and suggested Ravenous. Right away, I knew why he was suggesting it. Absolutely. And I knew yeah. the angle that we would take with it, rather than be like, a lot of people think this film's shite, but it, if you look at it again, it isn't. Well, maybe, maybe that is the maybe that is exactly the way we're, we're also viewing it, because I'm sure there's still a contingent of people out there that think Ravenous is shite. Or at least think it's kind of daft, or kind of like... Well, you know, <laughs> didn't it like- is, but in a, in a good way, and in a charming way, and then a way that I think totally works. Yeah, um, and it's got some smart things to say as well. Except know? for the music. I still don't get the, um, the love for the music. And people are coming in thinking fast, I love the Damon Albarn soundtrack, blah, 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 blah. blah. I still don't really get it. I find it confusing and jarring and misplaced. Mm-hmm. For the I, most I'm, part. I mean, Someone who disagrees, though, is Salt Hard Popcorn. Uh-huh. Um, enjoyed listening to chat about Ravenous on this week's Strong Violent PC. Thank you very much. And kudos to Andy Make Stuff and Mercer Sharp for seeing the film in the cinema. Uh, I discovered it on video, but I don't get the lack of love for the soundtrack. See, I think that the score for this is a lot of things that sound great in isolation. Sure. But I don't necessarily know if I think that if you put it on as an original score album, it would make sense. And I and I think that and I think that it's weird. I think that it's a lot of like I say, it's a lot of really great pieces, and you can tell that there are really excellent minds and very musical people involved. But I also don't think that it flows particularly well. See, that's the thing. I think I mentioned to you off recording um, when we were we were kind of talking about this. I feel the same way about Sean Spillane's score to. Uh, the woman. Yeah, that's 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 legitimate. Uh, I I feel that some of the the songs that he's written for that film just seem a bit weird and out of place, and I'm still as much as I love the film, and I I really do. Yeah, I'm still not convinced that all the way that the score works. And that could take you out of things, and like a pretty bad. And like it in, does, and I think it does in Ravenous. Yeah, I mean, I think there's something to be said for that. I mean, obviously, last week was my first viewing of it, and I had that exact thing. Sure. In a couple of instances, but elsewhere, uh, Caitlin scared cheapless on Twitter. Yeah, getting in touch. Yeah, yeah. Not all the way through at Strong Violent PC's Ravenous episode. Have been meaning to watch Ravenous for ages because it's exactly my kind of thing. I think it's notable that eating human flesh comes from a place of desperation at first and then is addictive. Mm-hmm. Most killers who indulge in a bit of cannibalism are always seemingly underwhelmed by it, especially Armin Mives. Oh yeah, he was the German cannibal who brought the guy home online and uh, murdered him and tried to eat his cock, but it was too chewy. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. In fact, only Albert Fish said he enjoyed it, and you can't be taking him as any barometer of taste, which is fair enough. Uh, very true, very true. Uh, one of history's worst. Um, but, uh, I mean, devil's advocate here, Mitch. <laughs> okay. Uh, he was eating kids, so they were probably a little bit more uh, tender. Right. I like, see. I guess like veal. For fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Moving very swiftly on. Do you have anything else on Ravenous? Uh, yeah, heaps. Okay. Jenny McCarthy. 
uh-huh. getting in touch to say great episode. Thanks. Thank you very much. Shout out for the Cannibal the Musical reference. Uh, <laughs> my favourite musical about cannibals by a long margin. Definitely in my top three. Sure. And Andrew Barron weighing in with a very, very similar comment. Okay. Just finished today's episode. Cannibal the Musical was originally titled Alfred Packer the Musical, so definitely has the links we spoke of. Ah, okay, cool, cool, cool. Nice to have people. Uh, nice to have people validating those speculations we're making. Well, it's interesting you say that, Mitch, because uh, while people are validating things, they're also shutting stuff down. Yeah, and we do love a correction on the show. Yeah, and uh, it turns out. <laughs> I don't know as much about cannibalism and uh, prion diseases as I thought I did. Well, apparently not, because our resident expert, Dr. Death, Dr. Lauren McIntyre, at Nodding Goth. The Twitter, Bone Mama, as I called her in the episode. <laughs> the Bone Mama. Got in touch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, saying, really looking forward to today's episode. This is a great film. It also reminds me of my favourite case of historical... Ad- she goes into fairly exhaustive detail. She so does. I'm just going to shoot through the whole thing. Uh, but she says, really looking forward to today's episode. This is a great film. It also reminds me of my favourite case of historical cannibalism. Archaeologists found that human bones from the site of Cowboy Wash in Colorado, which sounds like a Mitch's Pitches destination, sure does, sure um, does, yeah. had been butchered, defleshed, and cooked. An analysis of a human turd found in ah. a hearth showed that it contained human heart myoglobin. This protein is only found in human heart muscle, ergo whoever laid said turd has definitely eaten human heart. More info for interested parties below, and as ever... A link, a helpful link. She has shown her working with a link to an LA Times article. Yeah, um, I mean, that's great. And then I went on to disappoint Lauren by being wrong. Uh, Yes, she chipped in with, all right, lads, just listening to the podcast. Sorry, Andy's wrong. Kuru is actually now thought to be transmitted by handling infected corpses rather than eating them. Easily done in societies lacking modern hand-washing facilities. I actually studied cannibalism at uni. So, uh, yeah, brought a uh, knife to a gunfight in that situation. Yeah, I, I didn't study cannibalism at uni. It was just a hobby. (laughs) <laughs> big thank you as always though to dr death thanks lauren for getting in touch uh, and, uh, with that one. i will uh, try to be uh, i'll try to do my research more on my feet next time while, while recording um i want to mention the fact that um after she had brought this up um salter popcorn kevin got back in touch and just said next week's intro i'm mitch bain general renaissance man musical maestro and main pitchifier and i'm andy stewart <laughs> missing farming people on cannibalism since 2019 Thanks, assholes. <laughs> and he also concluded with, and to think I threw away a perfectly good torso I'd had in my freezer for two months. Harumph. Oh, harumph. Excellent. <laughs> the last bastion of the grumpy old man. <laughs> <laughs> you got anything else on Ravenous? Uh, yeah, yeah. A couple of little things. Okay, fire three. Uh, Andy McCartan. Uh, I should really hate this film because it's a tonal train wreck, but thought it was an oddity. It has the strangest musical cues, along with slapstick action fight scenes, most of the cast think they are in a serious, tense horror piece where Robert Carlyle is having a blast and eating more scenery than body parts. <laughs> After just watching it for the first time, uh, want to know what you guys think. Listen to the episode. Yeah, I mean, like, I, mean like, I, 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 um, I think that yeah. Robert Carlyle... Um, I don't know, I don't think his performance doesn't mesh with everybody else in the film. I, I, I think it's slightly more elevated than everyone. It's pitched slightly higher. Yeah, I think he's the focal point, but I don't think that he sticks out in a sore thumb way. No, if anything, I think he stands kind of head and shoulders above most of the other people in terms of acting ability and in terms of how, what he's given to do. Yeah, I said it in the episode. I don't think the film would work all the way without him. I, I think he's superb. And I, on the whole, Ravenous is superb. Um, if you have anything else on Ravenous, now would be the time to say so because I am going to move on to other things. I have one more thing, and it's come in from Hanny Ray. Okay. At Hanny underscore Ray. Now, uh, I think I have to agree with Hannah here, and I'm going to I'm going to probe you for an, a, a more uh, 
a deeper answer. Okay. Hannah's tweet is as follows. Okay. I feel like Watchfire's Mitch definitely swerved on answering Andy Makes Stuff's question. Oh, I know. Listeners to the episode may recall that I asked you, Mitch Bain, Uh if called upon to do so, would you eat me? (laughs) Your friend, your co-host, your occasional confidant. Yeah, yeah, all those things. If you were called upon, if need arose, would you eat me? Yes. That was all I wanted to know. That was it? Yes. That was fine? Yeah. 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 I wouldn't kill you and eat you. So you would eat me if I died of natural if causes? If you died of natural causes. I wouldn't kill you and eat you for sustenance. What if I said to you, Mitch? Kill me and eat me. Kill me and eat me. I, mm, I'll close yeah. my eyes, but I won't look at you as I die. I wasn't ready for that variation. <laughs> but but yeah, my, my, in short, I would I would eat you in a like, needs must survival situation, but I wouldn't kill you and eat you. Oh, well, I mean, that's, I suppose that's something. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, yeah. I, on a personal level, one, I'm glad that you wouldn't kill me. Oh, cool, good. Uh, yeah. Two, I'm glad that you would eat me, you would eat my corpse to prolong your own life. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> so that, that makes me happy. I'll sleep well tonight. I hope that everyone is happy that I finally um, ended the speculation that I wouldn't eat Andy and confirmed that I would. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I would have been incredibly offended if you'd said you wouldn't eat me. <laughs> but it fucks up with me. <laughs> I know, yeah. No, no, no. I I mean, I've led a life. And I, You've seen some things, yeah, been some places. Yeah, I can imagine that my innards are tinged a vague orangey colour from all that iron brew. Do you, think that, do, you think that if, do you think that if I ate you, it'd be like the second half of Climax? What, you just trip out? <laughs> 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 Maybe if you ate me when I was 19. And that was like Hellscape. <laughs> um, stepping outside of Ravenous, we actually had um, uh, a couple of things. I mentioned last week in the minisode that I had watched Frankenstein's Monsters, Monster Frankenstein. Sure, the yeah. uh, David Harbour one-off comedy thing. Yeah, yeah. On uh, Netflix. Had some very divergent opinions on that coming in. Ooh. Hannah herself, Hanny underscore Ray, getting in touch once again. Uh, saying, I just watched Frankenstein's Monsters, Monster Frankenstein after Watchfire's Mitch mentioned it a few times as Strong Violent PC. And it's a fun, knowing, and very strange 32 minutes. David Harbour at his gruff best, which is pretty much where I stand on that. Sure, sure. However, Kevin Matthews on Facebook, I'm just about to listen, but I have to say I was hugely disappointed by Frankenstein's Monsters, Monster Frankenstein. And I don't think that David Harbour was right in the role as much as I love him elsewhere. Wow. Um, so obviously, and he said with, would be interested to hear your thoughts. Obviously, I went on to be pretty effusive about that Netflix thing. I don't know what to call it. Like a uh, special? Like a... That one-off? That show? Like a medium length? Yeah, I liked it a lot, though. Um, and uh, Yeah, but interesting, though, that people thought that David Harbour was not a good fit for it. Because, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I've got David Harbour blinkers on and I just want to watch him in everything all the time. Hellboy? Stop pitching Hellboy to me. <laughs> um, that is just a bit for me. One last thing that I want to mention, because it was a really fun thing that happened this week. Uh-oh. Um, Gorehound at Zombieslew got in touch on Twitter. And I think it was basically a reference to the fact that you keep making fun of Spotify on uh, all of our episodes and minisodes for admittedly being the worst of the streaming platforms in terms of uh, their most frequent, yeah, their most frequent fuck up rate, I would say. Um, but he said, um, if like me, you're still struggling to listen to Strong Violent PC via Spotify, then Dodgy Dave's Ice Cream Van has these readily available. Only £2 to rent and you get 50p back if you return it fully rewound. Mine even came with an episode of Minder on the end. <laughs> and the photo that he's attached, I love this, it's like a picture of an actual VHS, but he's taken the Strong Language and Violent Scenes logo 
and made a sticker out of it and stuck it on there. At first glance, I thought he had got one of those, uh, you know, those lamps that I've got, the videotape lamp things. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought he'd had one of those made, and I was like, wow. No, he's that's just dedication on another level. But I'm uh, very impressed by that. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. That was a really, really fun thing to say. Thank you, Gorehound. Yes, big thank you for that. So that concludes my feedback with some critical exceptions. Yeah. It's once again time for Mitch's Pitches. You must know what this is by now, but just in case you don't. Mitch's people every week, Mitch. Well, I'm hoping so. So so if you are a new person and this is your first one, point one, I'm sorry, point two, (laughs) Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It will be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. He will have photoshopped out the title, the tagline, all identifying text. He will leave only the image. My job will be to describe that image to the best of my ability and where possible, give it a title and a synopsis. We will, of course, also post that everywhere on social media so you can join in yourselves. And boy, did you this week. So last week we had Fair Game, yeah, uh, yeah, reappropriated yeah. by me as the rampage of martial law, the great vehicular woman. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and um, uh, people were getting in touch um, and had some good ideas on this one. Uh, so I'm going to shoot through a couple of them. Hanny underscore Ray on Twitter. Off-road rage, bait and ditch. <laughs> Harvey Dix and his bounty hunters attempt to kill the monster roaming Vegas which has been munching on the dancers from the strip capturing some bait to lure the creature they find themselves faced with more monster than they expected wow okay. like that quite I like a lot that. I like that. say yeah, yeah yeah I like that plenty uh, Chris Salt oh okay 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 oblong pictures oblong pictures Abandoned as a child and raised by feral kangaroos, the Outback is the only home that Brenda Rue Kirkcaldy has ever known. <laughs> that is, until she rescues a group of stranded tourists from a frenzied koala attack. Jeez. Entranced by their tales of the bright city lights of Brisbane, she offers to lead them out of the wilderness. But being accustomed to travelling in the pouches of the kangaroos that raised her, the only way she knows to guide them is to perch on the front of their pickup and shout directions back to the two lads standing on the roof. <laughs> Openly okay. derided by critics on release, it's 1987's exploitation cash-in, Fender Brenda. <laughs> Fender Brenda. Love uh, it. Oh, hang on. Yeah. Love it. Kevin Matthews, murderous Aussie males, decide to take a deranged door-to-door salesman up on his offer. Pay him good money and he'll find them victims to allow them to spend their Saturday and Sunday chaining other men to the front of their truck and impaling them on various roadside obstacles until their sex sex organs are mutilated, then making them dress as women while they continue to match them between vehicles and hard surfaces. Jesus Christ. In 1984's Nasty, we kender gender blender fender bender vender. Say that again. Weekender, gender blender, fender bender bender. I very much like you saying that. Mighty. (laughs) Uh, Tagline An accident in the outback will put more than your back out. (laughs) That's really good. Yes, I think that that is great. Speaking of great, Tony Constantine. Now tell me, just spoiler for me, does it rhyme? Well. When cash-strapped, mismatched, bad-batch Nevada gangsters Brad Latch and Patch Bland hatch a grand plan to snatch and ransom handsome model Dan McCann, the foolproof plan proves woefully bad when they mistakenly take the wrong McCann, Dan's stripper sister Fran. 
I thought you were going to say something else. I thought you were going to say they took another McCann. With the plan to ran Dan down the pan from the hiccup and the model slapper sister now strapped to the pickup, the down and out boys hit the whiskey <coughs> and the road with the frisky, risky lady ready to offload. Oh my god. But as the boys hit full throttle and drown in the bottle... Hot on their heels as enraged brother Dan with a perfect and daring dynamic rescue plan. To send the best of his trusty entourage chaps, ex-stuntman bodyguard Rusty Mudflaps, <laughs> to get back his sister and undo this disastrous blow and director Iron Butterfly's 1976 <laughs> shit show in Nevada to steal a lady. Oh, right, okay. Tagline, don't you know I'm kidnapping you? <laughs> Big fan of the, the tagline. <laughs> that concludes Mitch's pitches, or at least the listener segment for this week. So wow. it falls to you once again to pick both the best pitch and the best character name. It's hard to see by Tony. Yeah, um, it's really strong because that's that. I, I don't even want to know how long he took out his time to write that. But I'm going to give it to Kevin Matthews. Twist. Oh, okay. Weekender, gender, blender, fender, bender, bender. The very same. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, but I'm going to give it to Tony for the character Rusty Mudflat. <laughs> that's fair. Make no mistake, the man will not go unrewarded. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's that seems pretty even-handed to me. Uh, Kevin and Tony, congratulations! You both win a whole lot of nothing. Do you know what? I'm going to chuck some extra nothing in because it's Friday and I'm drunk. Okay, that's fair play. You're nothing else if not generous. So uh, I guess it's time for my bit. Sure. You ready? So, uh, yeah. Okay. Okay, here it comes. It's on the way. Oh yeah, here we are. Here we are. Here we are. Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Okay, so uh, the okay, so this is split in half. The bottom half is just a solid pane of black. So I'm guessing that's where the title was. I can confirm the original Mitch, poster. There, uh, on the full poster, there is a whole raft of information. Um, okay. below okay. the line there. Uh, so above the line, the background here is a setting sun over what appears to be either a field or a desert. It's unclear. The in the foreground of the image, we have a blonde woman who is lying down in a state of some slaughterment. <laughs> I think she might be dead. Uh, no, she looks pretty horrified. I, she, I think uh, there's prominent veins in her forehead. I would contest that she is still alive. Yeah, just simply distressed. Possibly on the verge of death. Uh, very little covering her nipples. I'll, uh, very little covering I'll her in you. general, actually. Uh, but no, she's a blonde woman, and uh, yeah, she's uh, kind of screaming towards the camera um, out of her upside down face. Um, standing over her uh, is. Her head is also upside down. Like, it's not simply her face hasn't been attached. Upside down to her skull. Correct. Yeah, you know, yeah the whole thing's upside down. It's it, Yeah, it makes sense in the image. Uh, standing over her is a, a man in a loincloth, I would say, but you can only see him from the waist down. Uh, he is holding a kind of large machete in his hand, yeah. which has a tuft of blonde hair around the handle. In the background, another scantily clad woman. This woman uh, is a lady in red with a rope around her neck. Um, she is being approached by another menacing-looking, scantily clad man, I would say, who's facing away from the camera. And that is about it, I think. Yeah, I'm looking at the image here. There's not much more jumping out at me. Okay, in that uh, case... Perhaps the guy's uh, unusual pallor. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But, yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty much the main bullet points of it. Okay. Okay, I'll need a moment. I'm so glad you beat me. I feel like that's all the validation you needed, wasn't it? That's all the validation I would need in life, really. I mean, 
anything else beyond that is it's just a bonus. That, I dig you, bro. That somebody likes me enough that they would eat my corpse. Yeah, yeah. Are you nearly done? Yeah, I think so. Let's do it. Okay. So I'm not going to lie. I've been a little bit selective with the elements that I've chosen to go for here. <laughs> also, I mean, I'm, I'm going to say right now, you're, while your pitches have been incredibly strong, I feel your titles have been lacking a little bit in the last couple of weeks. Uh, I don't know. I like the Rampage of Martial Law, personally. <laughs> uh, yeah, okay, I got it here, though. The year is 1999. Ambitious hair, makeup, and visual effects expert Leopold Delacroix Oh. Lands the opportunity oh. of a lifetime when he's hired to work on the upcoming 80s throwback slasher film Come Die With Me. Oh. However, following an altercation with eccentric director Cineasta Demore, Fuck off. He is abruptly fired from the production and due to a legal loophole, also surrenders the rights to all of the prosthetics and hair pieces he worked so tirelessly on. Right. Hellbent on revenge, Leopold embarks on a bloody rampage on set, brutally murdering any actor wearing any of his handiwork and reclaiming the items as his own. Get ready for your close-up in 1999's bad-taste slasher throwback, Wig Your Own Grave. Dumbleweed. Wow. Wig Your Own Grave. I'm afraid so. Jesus Christ. So much effort got into the actual content. (laughs) I know, I wrote so hard around such a mediocre pun. Leopold Delacroix. Yep. Cineasta de more. Just as well, he became a director with a first name like Cineasta. Yeah, and yeah. it's and especially yeah. a horror director, since his name is a literal translation of director of death. Wow. Uh, yeah, I'm not proud of it. What is the... What's what's the real one? What year did you say? 99. Right, no, that, was that not the... And year date? Yeah, but it was also the real date. Oh, wow, wow. <laughs> the fact that you think this was a poster from the turn of the century... <laughs> Uh, Tells its own story. <laughs> staggering. It was 1981, and the film was Umberto Lenzi's "Make Them Die Slowly," more commonly known as "Cannibal Ferox." Cannibal Ferox. Okay, yeah. okay. I'm at the risk of being uh, extremely ignorant. What's that about? <laughs> You've got a choice, Mitch. Oh, I do. Okay. Our synopsisizers are a plenty. Okay. We have on IMDb: Hell to Pay 27, Humberto Amador. Yes. Hell to pay 27 with a different synopsis. <laughs> Can I have the second one from Hell to pay 27? An aspiring anthropologist takes her brother and friend on an expedition in the Amazon in order to disprove the existence of cannibalism. Once there, they meet two men lost in the jungle who are on the run from a native tribe that they tortured and enslaved to find emeralds. I love the voice you put on when you do that. Yeah, it's my... It's my my sexy synopsis voice. It's your NPR voice. Yeah. <laughs> Cannibal Ferox. That concludes Mitch's pitches for this week. However, this is where you come in. That image is everywhere now. Yeah. Get pitching. We love it when you do this. I can't get enough. Yes, it's amazing. Uh, so yeah, get in touch. There is loads and loads of nothing to be won. Warehouse is full of it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Far as the eye can see. <laughs> so, streaming platforms this week. Mm. Uh, the odd thing going on this week. Uh, Shudder has a good one from July 29th. They've picked up a couple of shorts. Okay. Um, they've got um, that I think are worth checking out. Uh, they've got The Quiet Room. Right. And also uh, Gigi Sol Guerrero's El Gigante. Uh, I love El Gigante. Uh, my own films have played alongside it. You have screened it. I have screened it, as a matter of fact. Yeah. In Glasgow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's it's really great. Yeah, it uh, is amazing. And she's obviously gone on to do incredible stuff. She's just made Culture Shock for uh, Hulu. Yeah, yeah, Hulu and Blumhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and that came out as part of the Into the Dark series, which is a series of feature-length films 
uh, one a month. I think they all have to tie in with a holiday. Okay. I know uh, Paul Davis did a feature-length version of his short, The Body. Okay. And Chelsea Stardust did one, um, All That We Destroy. Um, and I think uh, I think Nacho Vigalondo did one as well. Ah, okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, they're, they're pretty cool. Yeah, pretty um, interesting stuff. But, yeah, if you want to kind of see where it all began for her. Okay, now. Yeah, like, making, or, I mean, certainly some of earlier work. shots before that. Um, and she's made some cool stuff since then. But El Gigante is a superb short. Yep, well worth your time. Yeah. Well worth your time. Uh, Netflix has some interesting stuff on August 1st. So um, we have uh, Running Out of Time. Yeah. Uh, the synopsis for that, held hostage by men searching for secrets her late husband left behind, a widow and her family race against time to find a way out, doing wow, my usual cool. balancing of quality and trash. <laughs> um, August 1st, also, um, Mars Attacks comes to Netflix. Tim Burton's Mars yeah. Attacks. Ah, yeah, cool. So yeah. that's there if you want to check that out. Also, and I think without question, really, in my opinion, the pick of the bunch this week, on August 1st, Netflix acquires Ex Machina. Ah, cool. Yeah, yeah, great film. Tremendously good film yeah, from Alex Garland. Excellent. Yeah, go get that watched. If you haven't seen it before now, where have you been? Yeah. Tremendously good. That's just about it for the streaming platforms, though, this week. Not too much going on. No, no. Quite so, quiet, quite quiet. all that's left to do is turn our attentions to this week. Dun, dun, dun. And episode 64. We do have a guest again. Killing it with those guests. Brag. And um, it's another it's another Fright Fest adjacent guest. It sure is. He yeah. is the director of the Fright Fest selection, I Trap the Devil, Mr. Josh Lobo, joining us this week. Yes, indeed. Great to have Josh here. A film I'm really looking forward to seeing, actually, is I Trap the Devil. I thought you meant the film that he'd chosen. I <laughs> know. The, the film that he's chosen is a film I have seen. And we are going back this time to 2002 for Mark Pellington's... The Mothman Prophecies. The Mothman Prophecies. Okay, a new one on me. Yeah, it's Richard Gere, Laura Linney, and the guy who played Miranda's husband in Sex in the City. Oh, which one's that? Steve? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very good. I was going to ask you about the actor, but that's fine. Uh, I can't remember his name. Um, <laughs> but he's in it. <laughs> but Josh Lobo, uh, the director of I Trap the Devil, joining us this week to talk The Mothman Prophecies. Going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Almost inevitably, I haven't seen this film. Have you? Do you have opinions? If you do, get in touch with us. Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. And you can send longer considerations, if you'd really like to, to Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com. Yeah, and whatever you want to listen to us, we are just about everywhere. Go on to whatever podcast provider you're using and type us in, and odds are it will return some kind of variation of us. Yeah, it'll come back with that. Can't promise you it'll be all the episodes. Uh, not looking at anyone in particular, Stitcher. Yes, Stitcher, whatever you're up to. See you looking over there. I think that for the avoidance of doubt, if you want the full comprehensive strong language of violent scenes experience, I think that Podbean would be your top choice. <laughs> because they're lovely and they're our hosts. Yeah, yeah, they're good lads. We are back Friday, maybe before, who knows. We're talking the Mothman prophecies with Josh Lobo. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. 